Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Hello again to 33 people <laughs> here today, our beautiful Sangha. And uh, we are blessed to have each other in Long Beach, blessed to be a community. Joel and I figured out how to um, best keep our dog from barking while we lead guided meditations. Um, so he puts the guided meditation on an iPad up to the dog's ear and the dog has been meditating with us now. <laughs> So uh, today is um, our Sangha, so we have so many things going on, it's such an active time for our Sangha, we may not be able to meet in person, but it doesn't stop us from being very active and engaged in our practice, that's the good news. All right, so um, another challenging and sad day. It is where we are, we're here. And uh, I was reflecting on the fact that just as, as a society, as a collective, I mean, in our country and around the world, we have come to um, mourn and grieve the difficulties in our country right now, particularly around the deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmed Aubrey, we get to add another name. Rayshard Brooks, you know, uh, what can be said at a moment like this with our country in such uh, peril and difficulty, there's something afoot that we can't turn away from and collectively we must embrace. That's difficult to see every day in our lives. But those of us who have taken the bodhisattva vow and have taken a mindfulness path or a Buddhist path, we have been practicing for moments just like this. We practice to turn towards the difficult in a skillful way and um, alleviate the suffering of the world in our own individual big and small way. And the quote for this talk today is from Rumi. He says, the very center of your heart is where life begins, the most beautiful place on earth. And for times like this and times that are easier, we, in our mindfulness and Buddhist practice, we cultivate heart practices, the awareness of the heart. Um, and uh, we were asked by the Buddha to cultivate this boundless heart, this heart that can hold everything, all the grief, all the sorrow, all the pain, 
Um, and he, in the Metta Sutta that we all love to quote, my favorite line is, just like a mother with a child, her only child, so too with a boundless heart, do we cherish all beings. So when we're in times like this, we use our compassion practice, karuna practice, where the heart quivers with the pain and the suffering, resonates, does not turn away to hold it. And we find great refuge there. We find great strength. We find capacity. We find wisdom and ability to be part of a healing phenomenon, to be part of the healing. And we, we pull ourselves out of blindness and denial and um, turning away from suffering directly into the cyclone, the center of that cyclone of suffering. And so um, I want to start there in the boundless heart and, and, and give you permission to take great refuge in the heart at a time like this. It, it doesn't mean that we can't feel and sense boundless love and joy and appreciation and warmth. It's a good time to really go out in nature and allow nature to soothe the heart, to listen to the laughter of a child and to um, appreciate joy, to appreciate and cultivate deep love, because that love is the healing place. We need it. We need it, so let it flow. Let it be rich and sublime and light, intense. Allow yourself to be surrounded by it and with other beings. One of the books that Inside LA has asked the teachers to read is um, called My Grandmother's Hands by Resma Menachem. And uh, that will be part of your resource page that we will send out and I can post it. But he really talks about when we're looking at um, things like this institutionalized racism that's killing people, um, we must turn towards it with a calm, we have to attend to the body that is looking. And the body needs to be in calm and ease. And we need to take care to bring that body into calm and ease because wisdom cannot surface without this cooling and calming and heart practices and feeling and sensing this boundless heart, the beauty of the heart and touching in is very important to feel this beautiful, sweet love that every human being has the capacity for. So, um, the active heart stays open. And so the topic here today is how do I keep my heart open? How do I not close it? when these things are happening? How do I not move into hatred and resentment and this us and them? And um, how do I not shut down? And it's not just issues that are coming up around race and racism, but um, a lot of us are expressing to each other about you know, how the pandemic is handled as well. Who's not wearing a mask? Who's not social distancing? Who's not following? Who's taking risks? You know, we have, we can build our list of resentments. 
So I want to read a couple of things from my grandmother's hand, um, some quotes, and then um, talk about the compassion practice and why this is relevant and how this impacts our practice, how we practice like bodhisattvas with what is in front of us right now. You know, how we do not turn away. And we see this as part of our practice. See this as part of our healing. Yeah? Not separate from it. And I can tell you, you know, Casey and I have had dialogues about, you know, Casey, I really don't want to look at race. I would say, I want to just meditate and empty my mind. I don't want to, I want a no self, no thought mind. I want that, you know, and we chuckle and he go, yeah, yeah. But you know, it's part of practice is being where you are in the world, not denying it. And, and um, it's not always about, I want comfort. It's about taking that bodhisattva vow to uh, uplift yourself in the world. So I'll read you these quotes and we'll talk a little more. And if I am not skillful in my speech, I apologize. It's a very difficult topic to speak about because our body gets triggered into fight, flight, or freeze around issues of racism. And that's part of what he talks about in my grandmother's hand. He says, there is a perception that whiteness is working for white people. It's not. White people must join the world in fighting the um, pernicious ideas that created their category. And, and that's a quote from Quinn Norton, that what we're seeing is not working for anybody, you know? And uh, we have to join the world in fighting the pernicious ideas that create this um, this hatred, this segregation, um, this violence. Here's another one. Healing is about taking the time to notice what gets in the way of feeling connected to your life, your community, and your sense of possibility. Healing at its core is about slowing down so that we can deeply listen to ourselves and each other. And I have seen this happen over the last couple of weeks because of the virus we have slowed down and now we're squarely facing what's in front of us as uh, terrible institutionalized racism and violence so the healing is about uh, slowing down to notice what gets in the way of feeling connected to this and the possibility Another quote, when a cultural norm is uh, inhuman and evil, it's our obligation as human beings to do our best to put a stop to it. This is the Bodhisattva vow, and here we are. And yes, it's part of our practice. Um, another one, we need to be aware of those privileges that we have and how they function. So um, another one, there's a great big difference between learning about trauma and learning a practice and actually making that practice become a practice. So a lot of times the um, trauma around racism and the trauma in our lives, and many of us have trauma in our lives, whether it be from abuse of, of certain kinds or systemic 
uh, difficulties in the world, um, we learn about it and we develop a practice around it to heal ourselves from it. And we make that practice a practice that goes out into the world. So um, I wanna talk a little bit about Trudy and Jack. Uh, Trudy had her 75th birthday on Tuesday and um, they had a program uh, on Zoom. Have, did anybody attend that or hear them? And I did put it on Facebook. A few of you did. And uh, I, I want to share some of what Jack said, um, which really touched me deeply. Trudy as well, um, but Trudy I know very well. So, uh, you know, the dialogue goes on. I don't get a chance to hear Jack as often. Um, and so I'm going to read some of his comments to you and they may not be perfect, but you'll get the idea and then we can talk a little bit more. So he said, um, basically, um, he talked about in the beginning that um, just how we were born and the, that the color of our skin in our society, um, if the color of your skin is, if, if, you, if you're a young man and you're African-American, um, it's, it's more likely five times, how many more times luckily that you can be on a bus to the prison system, the way our uh, society is set up in a segregated society um, in the way we white folks have held on privilege in the society on a systemic level that um, it's dangerous to be an African-American male uh, right now. Horrible to say. And um, he asks us, Am I complicit in this system, this whole structural system? And uh, what we've been studying is how, as people I, who identify as white, very often have a fragility. We don't want to talk about that issue. We, we shrink from it. But the healing has to come from not shrinking from it, from facing it individually and collectively how our society has been segregated and that the resources are not nearly equal um, in America. And this we all know. And he says, we're in a moral crisis, a health crisis. There isn't even adequate health care uh, for all, as we can see. Uh, he, he and um, he believes that we all need a period, a national period of truth and reconciliation um, in our process together to tell the truth about this underbelly of our lives. No amount of wealth or technology will stop racism um, and this kind of violence, the ecological destruction. It's all rooted in the human heart. We have to come to the heart and steady our heart and free ourselves from grasping and ignorance, confusion, fear, to remember to be awake to who we really are with loving awareness, 
of who we are, the fundamental dignity and nobility of um, the birth of a being, just as we're born. And in mindfulness practice, we use the inner support to heal and the outer support to heal the world. And it's our job to free ourselves from ignorance, racism, blindness, fear, as much as we can. And he says every day we need to ask the simple question, what would love have me do today? What would love have me do today? And he said, maybe we should just also put justice on our to-do list, like, you know, laundry, shopping, cooking, cleaning, justice. <laughs> um, and uh, apparently on Inside LA, I posted it as well. Um, he said to look every day at the 75 things white people can do um, to help serve in this issue. And uh, he said, you know, if you have guilt or shame, you're ashamed about privilege, or you feel you're born with privilege, um, it's our assignment to understand how to use that privilege at this time, to use it as a beautiful bodhisattva committed to alleviate suffering wherever we can find it. Our task is to um, allow our heart to be touched, that's compassion, the quivering of the heart, to quiet our mind and make a vow. The path to quiet our mind and make a vow. And he quoted something from Diane Ackerman that I thought was beautiful. I swear I will not dishonor my soul with hatred, but offer myself humbly as a guardian of nature, a messenger of wonder, a healer of mystery and an architect of peace. So um, Christina Feldman talks about um, compassion. She says, the classroom of compassion is situated in the midst of the deepest pain of suffering and we are in the classroom. Um, we're faced with people who do inflict pain and when we see this, we need to dive deeply within ourselves to listen and to understand. Compassion asks us to make the radical leap in our own consciousness to embrace the perpetrators of harm. It's hard practice, anguish born of hatred, ignorance, and fear. We must turn to this too with an open heart. There's no us in them. There's no, I hate the police and I, this and I, you know, it's the open heart for all. It's the quivering to understand, um, even with the folks who are inflicting the pain, we hold them too in our heart of understanding. We turn to all. She says, the mountain of suffering in the world can never be lessened by adding yet more bitterness and hatred to it. And Tignat Hum says, anger and hatred are the materials from which hell is made. To discover a heart without boundaries, you must discover compassion without boundaries. And at every turn, Christina Feldman, you face events and situations that test the limit of your compassion, your tolerance, and your understanding. And so um, 
there's another quote. Yeah. So what I want to talk about briefly, and I'm going to open this in a bit because there, I think it's good for community sharing around this, is um, anger is appropriate. You know, to be angry right now is appropriate. And uh, so many friends have talked to me about how angry they feel and hurt by many things that are going on. The Dharma is not about suppressing an emotion or putting, no, no, I can't be angry. No, it's really about turning towards that anger with mindfulness and wisdom and with a body awareness as Resma talks about, and letting that anger be a teacher too, letting that anger flow through you and turn towards it. And you may have to stomp and scream and yell and, and just go nuts with it. But that's the truth. Anger, that's true. Uh, I've been pulling down vines violently in my yard. <laughs> you know, I, I have to let my body feel what it feels. It's not about denying it right we have to let it go through us but um if we cultivate hatred you know if we cultivate our hearts shutting and icing out people us and them you know if we stay in it and we brew and cook it up then this becomes toxic and no one is served so it's appropriate to be angry even to yell, scream, shout, you know, if you have to. But you must still keep your heart open and not cultivate this us and them, this separation. Hate won't do it. And what I love in the book, when if you have a chance to read My Grandmother's Hands, he has a chapter on um, his care for police. And um, his, his wish for healing and talking to them directly, this is how you heal. Um, so we get to practice, <clears throat> you know, with anger comes sometimes strength and the ability to get out of a bad situation to do what needs to be done. Um, it, strength, you can feel strength in anger. This is a quote um, from me. <laughs> when your heart is smashed in a thousand pieces, wisdom and compassion whispers to you a thousand ways to serve. And that's been my experience that when my heart has been smashed in a thousand pieces, and I've had some heart smashing and maybe you have too, um mindfulness wisdom compassion whisper come they come right up and offer up a thousand ways to serve the places where we've been wounded and smashed the hardest are the feeding ground for wisdom um to serve and uh yesterday i i was sitting with one of my friends <clears throat> that I've known for a long time. And we um, are the same age and we grew up in Brooklyn together. 
we didn't know each other. We must have lived about 10 or 20 miles from each other, well, you know, and uh, we grew up in a time of um, where in the 60s, there was this white flight. Uh, white folks were told to run because people of color were coming into their neighborhoods and this was dangerous. And so a lot of white folks fled to the burbs and the inner city uh, went into this period of decay. And we, we talked about this burnt out buildings, garbage everywhere, no services, very high crimes, the drug trade. It was a very dark time to grow up as a child. And we, we often over the years meet together to share that time, what that was like to live in those conditions and how that affected us. And she said to me, and, and I'm identified as white, she's identified as Latina. She came from uh, Colombia um, here with her family and um, had to experience this poverty in inner city um, like I did, but with also racism added to that. And she said, oh, you know, to me, I won't lie, Wendy, I won't lie. I hated you all. I hated white people. I hated you growing up, what I had to go through. And she said, um, but I, I, as the years went by, um, I would not wear that on my face and in my heart. I would not wear that. That was her, her, she said that to me many times. And she said, you know, I look back and, um, everything that I went through that was so hard and difficult. And I've been through some of those myself living in these conditions as well. And she said the same thing. She said, those experiences made me love harder. <laughs> they made me love harder. They gave me more passion and compassion and they forced me to serve this broken world with all my heart and I do every day. And so in moments like this, when your heart is smashed in a thousand pieces, wisdom and compassion whisper to you a thousand ways to serve the Bodhisattva vow. May we all find our small piece to serve and keep our heart open to all beings even the ones that are easy to condemn. And may we wish these beings awakening to the roots of suffering as we take the vow to awaken to ours. So taking a moment, you may wanna close your eyes. Let's go back to the question that Jack asked so beautifully. Take a few breaths and gently whisper to yourself. Give yourself a whisper. What would love have me do today? What would love have me do today? It could be an action that's small or large. It may just be about being kind. 
when you offer this as a intention, as a small flame in the heart, as we go through our day to pause, breathe, anchor in the body, and ask this question, what would love have me do today? I think, Don, should we try some breakout rooms and then come back for group sharing? Does that sound good to you? Um, sounds good to me. Okay, we're going to do some breakout rooms. And please share what your heart needs to share with your Sangha members. All right, welcome back. Um, this would be a time to share with the group. Um, which I welcome and we all welcome. We want to hear from you. Uh, and there's one chat. Oh, and uh, Sue has said, please remember Donna with gratitude. <laughs> we do accept donations. And uh, she has um, she has a, uh, um, a Venmo account that you can go to. Um, Please remember Donna with gratitude. You may use PayPal with paypal.me Sunday sit Long Beach. This is in our chat or Venmo. And, uh, and Sue gave her phone number. So you could look at that in the chat if you want to support the sit with your donations, which we appreciate. So who would like to share with the group, please? I know some of you and many of you have wonderful wisdom to add to our dialogue today. We were talking about how grateful we are that there's been some movement in the past several weeks that there hasn't been for decades in terms of um, Black Lives Matter and reduction of racism. Um, our hope is that it continues and that it doesn't stall uh, the way the purported changes that were supposed to happen after the Parkland shooting, after the Sandy Hook shooting. I've seen too many things not happen to be a little critical, cautiously optimistic. Thank you, Claire. Who else would like to share? I'll share. Um, in our group, um, a couple of us were talking about um, how to handle the sort of fatigue that sets in with everything going on. Um, and so how to have compassion for ourselves so that we can feel um, so that we can engage in that love for community and that we can be aware of 
um, the social justice issues, you know, and I was talking about how this the other day, right, we see, you know, uh, problems now with the healthcare dealing with um, our lesbians and gays and bisexual transgender queer community. Um, and so there's, you know, there's assault happening on a lot of different levels. So, you know, it's dealing with that fatigue too. Yes, thank you, Karen, for bringing that up. Um, terrible week for um, protections, particularly for transgender people. And um, that fatigue is real and we, we have to, self-compassion comes in. We have to provide that care for ourselves. You know, it's two way, it's inward and outward and we must provide that care in these times that are so challenging and fatiguing. Yeah. Thank you. Huh. Um, I was at the Saturday sit for a minute last yesterday and Joel mentioned four different major things that are going on right now in our lives. So there's a lot of um, <laughs> a lot of causes for the fatigue, um, the economy, the race strife, um, the virus. Um, I, you know, I, I, maybe I'll remember the fourth, you know, I, I was sharing that with some people, but we have a lot that we're trying to process. And I guess the thing for me, I mean, in the last couple of days, I've been seeing some of my, I mean, I'm trying to stay connected with people who have op, not opposite, but very different viewpoints. Um, because if we don't do that, we're screwed. Um, but, you know, there's a part of me is like, fuck it. I don't want to talk to them anymore. I don't even want to deal with it. Um, but I'm trying to just talk about, you know, the thing that seems like a frivolous side conversation is the national uh, artifacts that people are removing because they're associated with, well, our own, you know, one of our genocides in this country. And um, I just, I'm trying to connect it with my history as a um, descendant of people who were murdered in the Holocaust and what happened in Germany and how they blew up the swastika on the Reichstag and all the other places and how they removed all um, artifacts, you know, whatever of the perpetrators. Um, so um, it's just an interesting thing to try and just engage people on that level, even though it seems kind of frivolous compared to what the uh, real issues are in this country. Um, but it's, it's real because um, these artifacts speak to the institutional racism that we are surrounded with. So that's, I mean, I loved that prompt that you offered, what would love have me do today. I've been trying to follow that. I've been trying to do that with, you know, remaining, keeping the dialogue open with people. Um, but it's, it's challenging. Because <laughs> I, mean, I feel, I mean, part of me is like, what's the point? I mean, but I still want to keep trying because the point is if we don't talk, you know, there's maybe there's a chance that somebody will start listening if we talk to each other. That's the part, the listening part is, is the problem. So that's me. Thank you. Beautiful reflections, Richard. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good morning, everyone.
Um, I just wanted this topic made me reflect on my childhood and some of the experiences I've had with police officers or or even my parents uh, repeatedly telling me how to deal with the police because it's such a worry for uh, black parents that their kids are going to be killed. Um, you know the whole okay you know before you get in the car you know if you know how to drive you've got your driver's license but if the police pull you over, remember it's yes, sir, and no, sir, and have your hands at 10 and 2, and before you go, in the, if they tell you to get your, your license and registration announced, I am going to look in the glove compartment for my license and registration. I'm reaching for my license. <laughs> you know, it, it's like ridiculous to even think about, but that's what you have to do, and even that doesn't protect you, but... Uh, you know, so you grow up with that, but the entire time, the black population has been what, 13% of the population, and the 13% has been marching and protesting and asking the 87%, look, we need equal rights, you know, we need to stop being abused, blah, blah, blah. And the 87% has said, we're not going to pay attention to you. Um, you know, things happen, someone dies, someone's killed, there's a riot, and then we ignore it. Um, but as Claire said, this situation makes me a little hopeful because I've seen instant change of places that have banned chokeholds and said we need to review policing practices. You know, I think it all comes down to those words protect and serve. You know, uh, are you protecting and serving? You know, it would, if the police had the attitude of treating everyone as if they were their relative, you know, are you going to kneel down on your father's neck and choke him out? Are you going to shoot him unnecessarily? So of course there are gonna be times when someone needs to be restrained or arrested, but are you judge and jury? Um, and so, I think as we get more and more troops, and I'm so hopeful, you know, I was in a protest and I'm seeing that the majority of the people there are young people, the people who are pulling over and cursing us out are old people, they're gonna die off. <laughs> we didn't get cursed out by anybody under 70. <laughs> so, you know, there's hopeful signs. Uh, I, you know, I love these young people, I mean, they're out there risking their lives and, you know, just beautiful hearts and immediate change. You know, it's been so many decades or hundreds of years that some of these things have been going on and to see all of a sudden we have more troops. You know, it's like, ah, oh, thank God, we can actually do something. We're, we're in a majority now, you know, because we, and, and poor white people, middle class white people, you know, Asian, Hispanic, we all have more in common than, than uh, you know, the rich people or the, or the racist people. Um, we're all just trying to live our lives and, and uh, you know, pursue happiness. So yes, it, it's a difficult time, but I balance it out. And, you know, I also see the progress. I see that maybe, there's more 
troops in the fight and we have a better chance of being successful now than in the past. I think of your mother a lot. <laughs> because I, oh, stories. I do because I, I, I think, you know, uh, what is that like as a mother to worry when your children leave their home? You know, I... Yeah, you have four black sons kids. in a white neighborhood. You know, we had lots of lectures. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I just wanted to say that I think uh, what would love have me do today is is to not just self-examine, but to be active out in the world and to speak up and to do something and know that, you know, I'm not perfect because I'm in this system, you know, and none of us are perfect. None of us are going to be free of racism. You know, no matter how much we work on ourselves, we can't be free of it in a second. And um, I think, I think love requires us to do something. That's, that's all. Thank you so much. Beautifully said. Thank you. Yeah. So Shannon, Shannon, what she said reminds me of the passion part of compassion. Okay. So calm meaning being together and the passion is the action. And that's what separates it from empathy. Empathy. Yes. Empathy is internal. Empathy is me. I'm feeling all these feelings of I'm feeling all this suffering. I'm feeling it and I can't bear it because you can't. And turning empathy into compassion. Compassion is empathy empowered, active. Yeah. And not, you can't hold it because it's impossible. You can't hold it. You have to move, you have to do something. And that's how we become compassionate is with that passion part more than feeling more than holding more than bearing movement action pain energy that's all all right okay um so our beautiful sangha we take the wisdom the compassion the mindfulness the quivering of our heart our true desire for healing, for peace, and for safety for all beings. And as we radiate this out to all four directions, all the corners of the world, the universe, we hold all beings in our heart. May all beings be safe and free from inner and outer harm. May all beings be healthy in body and in mind. May all beings be peaceful, free of suffering, loved and cherished. May all beings be free. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. 
for more information, please visit us at insightla.org.